Welcome to Animals to the Max. I'm your host, Corbin Maxey. This show is about animals and the people who dedicate their lives to them. And welcome back to another episode of Animals to the Max. I am your host, Corbin Maxey. Thank you, as always, every single one of you for taking the time to listen to the show. I love you. I love you so much. Okay. So just kind of cutting to the chase, I know that a lot of young people listen to the show, a lot of people maybe who want to pursue a career working with animals, a lot of you want to become zookeepers, and it's been a few months since we actually had a zookeeper on, and I'm a huge person, as you know, if if you listen to the show, just regarding behind the scenes stuff, like, you know, I love hearing people's journeys, how did you get that job, or how did you land that internship, or do you have any words of encouragement, words of advice, what I'm saying is I love the behind the scenes information, how people got to where they are. On today's show, we have Andy Haugen. She is a cat trainer at the Cat Ambassador Program at the Cincinnati Zoo. It's one of the largest cat programs, if not the largest, in the country. They're a pioneer in training ambassador cats like cheetahs to bring to schools, to do educational programs, to walk around the zoo. I just, I've always, uh, I've always loved these large cat programs and I've always wanted to, you know, have someone on the show who works with these cats on a daily basis. And, and Andy was the perfect candidate. She has, by the way, an awesome Instagram handle, Andy underscore Panda. Andy is A-N-D-I-E underscore Panda. And I'll put the links in the show notes. You can't miss her because she's always posting photos of her and either a cheetah, her dog, or the cheetah and the companion puppy. And it's just awesome. I love following her adventures around at the Cincinnati Zoo. What I love about this interview, there's a lot of great content. There's a lot of value in this. So for those of you wanting, you know, to pursue a career in the zoological field, she gives a lot of tips and tricks and things to do, things not to do. I just, I love it. I love all the insight and it's really inspirational for those of you who maybe have just graduated or those who have sent out over 100 applications and you haven't heard a darn thing. Listen to this interview. It will give you inspiration and Andy's awesome. She's great at what she does. She's a people person. She's friendly. She's a great interviewer. I love talking to her and I loved her so much. I actually had her on twice. So if you have not had a chance, check out the first interview I did with Andy where she talks about what zoos are doing around the country, in particular the Cincinnati Zoo, with the coronavirus outbreak. You could check that out in an earlier episode, but she's awesome. I know you're going to love it. As always, before we get to the show, make sure to subscribe to the show on whichever podcasting platform you listen to, whether it's iTunes, Spotify, Google. We're also on Pandora. You could just also, I guess, listen directly on CorbinMaxi.com. Leave a comment. It helps us out. And if you want more behind the scenes information, make sure to follow me on my social channels, my Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. And we're now big on TikTok. That's right. I have a lot of fun with that app. So check us out there. And if you'd like to support the show during this time of need, please head on over to our Patreon page, patreon.com slash animals to the max, and I will include a link in the show notes. Okay, with that said, let's do it, you guys. Let's get to it. Please welcome to the show Andy Haugen from the Cincinnati Zoo. Andy, welcome to the show. Hey, hey, thanks for having me. Okay, now folks, you might remember that Andy was the one who spoke to us about what the Cincinnati Zoo and what other zoos around the country are currently doing during this crazy coronavirus scare. So if you have not had a chance to listen to that episode, please do. She gives us great insight on how, what, you know, what the Cincinnati Zoo is doing and what they're doing to enrich their animals and how people can help. Andy, I wanted to have you back on because you are just, I had so much fun talking to you during the first episode and you're career I, I just want to dive into it it's just so fascinating to me yeah yeah it's been it's been a long long time to get to where I am today but but it's been fun and I think it's a good a good outline for anyone who is hoping to become a zookeeper in a way I mean everyone has a different way that they go about it but mine is uh is interesting and unique for sure <laughs> yeah and I was watching your Instagram story a couple days ago and I thought it was so cool yeah. people were asking you like questions and then you were giving advice to you know to pe- people who want to pursue a career in zookeeping I love that and I right. thought this is that oh that's what I messaged you I said we need to get you on the yeah. show because right, so right, right. <laughs> We haven't done a zookeeping ep- you know, episode in, you know, for several months and a lot of young people listen to this and they want to yeah. become a keeper and they want to know the ins and outs and I love hearing people's journey. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, where, where do you want to start? Like, I, yeah. Did you always grow up and did you always just want to be a zookeeper? No, I did not. I um, wanted, I knew I wanted to work with animals. Um, so I thought I had to be a veterinarian to do that. Um, I I don't know why zookeeping never crossed my mind. It just, I mean, I had gone to zoos, you know, I remember going to SeaWorld as a kid and stuff like that, but 
I always thought I just had to be a veterinarian to work with animals. So that's kind of what I went to um, college for. So I went um, to the University of Michigan. I actually got recruited to be on the rowing team there. Nice. So, yeah, so I was uh, there and I kind of set my whole schedule based on the pre-vet track, um, which is very similar to the pre-med track for anyone that's familiar, which is very difficult, <laughs> especially at the University of Michigan, which is a pretty difficult school. Um, so I was, you know, doing that and kind of trying to figure out what I wanted. I had always really wanted to travel. That's always been something that has been important to me and travel abroad. And uh, I grew up, you know, loving the Lion King, like most people. <laughs> me too. Oh my yeah. God. Oh, oh, of course like, the, 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 the cartoon version of that was the only oh, one. Oh yeah, around. obviously it's been yeah. my favorite movie since I can remember. Like my parents would tell me like, yeah, when you were like two years old, like you had this little, Oh my gosh. I literally, I have this right here. Oh my God. Show it, <laughs> show it. My, this is my little Simba stuffed animal from when I was a kid. Oh <laughs> my God. Gosh, that yeah, is yeah. awesome. So I've had him since I was like, you know, can remember, always had him. I couldn't eat, I thought he was, uh, I couldn't say Mufasa, so I called him Fafa. <laughs> yeah, so this is Fafa making an appearance for you all. Oh. Uh, we'll just let him uh, sit back there. <laughs> I love that you still have it. You know what, Andy? Now, if you're a true fan, I found this like last year. My parents still yeah. have him. I used to collect the Burger King lion king things that you get in like your kids bill my I oh yeah so, oh yeah for oh. sure i had lion king lamps towels the sheet sets like Me i had too. it all <laughs> oh that's awesome yeah, okay okay exactly rabbit yeah hole. so you know always always loved animals but that movie really made me always want to go to africa to see african wildlife right so that was kind of where i really wanted to go first but when i was in college i was still kind of on that pre-vet track and i had a uh, family friend who um had family in france and i had studied french and was like well why don't i try to do an internship in france um so i actually did a summer internship there where i was a, a veterinary technician kind of not technically a tech because there's a lot that goes into that but you know um doing that and trying to speak French at the same time was fun. Um, but so that's what I did my freshman year. I went there and I spent the summer in France working at this vet clinic, um, which was a really great experience, but it was also pretty, um, it was kind of sad too. I don't know. It being a vet. Sorry, my dog's trying to oh, interrupt fine. us. <laughs> I love the breeding. Timber. It's fine. It's not a good animals <laughs> to the max episode. If a dog does not interrupt. Yeah. Hi. Yeah. I tried to give him some stuff to occupy him, but he obviously already finished that. No worries. Um, anyways. So I, it was, it was dealing a lot with, you know, animals under anesthesia, animals that were sick, animals that were hurt really important work but it wasn't something that I necessarily was like gravitating towards so I was like okay I went back my sophomore year and then was like all right well let's see if I know I want to work with wildlife like I really want to work with wildlife so why don't I go I found this um another internship where I studied at the um, University of Pretoria in South Africa um and it was called like a vets in the wild um veterinary um experience there so I was like, all right, well, if I really want to be a vet and I really want to work with wildlife, this, these are the two things. Like, if I love this, like, I know that that's what I want to do. So I went there and it was really cool. I think I was more really excited about being in South Africa and seeing the animals. We got to go in, in you know, Kruger National Park oh. and stay in the park. And, you know, we camped in the park. I have a picture of me and, like, an elephant behind my tent. Like, crazy cool stuff. Um, wow. And... But it was still, you know, it was still, I wanted to work with the animals. And I also was really, really passionate about um, education. And I couldn't really necessarily get that through the veterinary aspect. So what was really great is I had had a friend who volunteered at this um, cheetah rehab and breeding center in South Africa, who encouraged me to stay like an extra month after my time at the University of Pretoria to um, volunteer there. So I volunteered at this um cheetah sanctuary and i got to work with cheetahs and i got to hand raise uh, help hand raise baby cheetahs uh, like i <laughs> had never i mean i had always liked cats i guess but never i was i consider myself a dog person to be honest and working with cheetahs it kind of like changed my whole world view i think and changed what i wanted to do um i had this experience there that was yeah i mean it was life-changing like that was 
safe to say that that's what happened. Um, and so I was like, all right, well, don't know what I'm going to do now. Not going to be a veterinarian. <laughs> so I went back to school <laughs> and um, I, I had to change my major because um, I was going to be majoring in um, biology, but I wanted to focus more on conservation and education. Um, so I actually was able to um, get in the environmental school. And so I was in the environmental school there and did my focus on wildlife conservation and was able, the um, University of Michigan has a great environmental science program. Mm -hmm. And I was able to take some grad school classes as well to supplement that, um, to focus specifically on the wildlife aspect. Um, which I think really helped as well. Um, and then my following summer, I was like, well, I'm not sure exactly what I want to do. Um, I also really wanted to um, work with elephants. Oh, so I, was, yeah. I don't know. I just wanted to see what I wanted to do. Um, work with elephants and um, pandas. Oh, <laughs> so I kind of yes. came up with this whole trip where I um, spent some time at the um, Wildlife Friends Foundation of Thailand. If you um, have not heard of them, they are doing amazing work in Thailand, helping to save, um, you know, exploited wildlife there, um, animals that were pets, uh, elephants from the trekking industries. Um, so many amazing animals there that really need help. And that's one of the only sanctuaries there that's really good sanctuaries because in Thailand, there's a lot of places that, you know, claim to be good but they're not yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so you know I, I made sure to do a lot of research first before I went because I wanted to be volunteering and supporting an institution that was really helping to save wildlife and rehabbing them and getting them back into their natural ranges when possible mm -hmm. um so that was amazing um elephants were really cool um but I had fallen in love with cheetahs before and oh. uh, so I was like okay nope still like cheetahs more and then I have always been obsessed with giant pandas since I was a kid. That's just been like my favorite animal. Um, I did a whole little video on my Instagram about my love of pandas. <laughs> so if you haven't seen that, that'll, that'll go more into that. Um, but working, I, so I worked at the um, biggest um, panda breeding center in the world, which is um, in Bethingia, which is up in the mountains, really in the middle of nowhere, <laughs> um, up from the big city of Chengdu. It's about two and a half hours up the mountains from there. So I spent a month there um, helping just daily husbandry, cleaning, things like that with the giant panda, which was also really amazing, but I was still hung up on the whole cheetah thing. <laughs> yeah, but hold on. That is, you're so young. I mean, are you, do you just have a young face? I, I am like, you're telling me all these accomplishments, I, these achievements. I mean, people dream of working with elephants, but people, there's a top, when it comes to animals in this field, people look at pandas, giant pandas, like they're up there. Yeah, no, for sure. And especially cause there's just like no places that have them really, yeah. you know, China has the monopoly on giant pandas and uh, most, most places can't have them or don't have them or sending them back to China. So yeah, I knew if I wanted to work with them, I had to go there. And there was pretty much only this one spot that allowed you to actually like volunteer and help with the training and cleaning and feeding, which is what I wanted to do um, in, in China. So, yeah. And what was also really great is I, I know cause there's a lot of, you know, young people that are wanting to get into this and do this. And it sounds like this kind of stuff is really unattainable. Um, but I did get a lot of my funding for these things through um, applying to grants applying to um, different things through scholarships through my university. And um, I just did a ton of research online. So uh, one of my trips, the one I did to Thailand and China, that was all part of a um, sustainability program that I applied through at my university that sponsored my whole trip there. So I wow. worked really hard to get into that program because I knew that part of that program was a working internship abroad. So, you know, it seems kind of unattainable if you don't have the means to do it. But if you're able to work hard and, you know, put in the time to write lots of letters and work hard in school, I think having because I did have such good grades and I did work really hard, I was able to get a lot of these scholarships and a lot of these things um, that I wouldn't have been able to if I didn't apply to it. And I wouldn't have been able to go if I didn't get these scholarships to help fund me to do so. That so. That is amazing that you said that huge yeah. value bomb because some people see someone like you, I mean, cause there's a picture of you like literally holding a panda and it's like, Oh, yeah, that, yeah. I'm like, Oh, that person's so lucky. Oh, why, why can't that yeah. be me? But it's 
not like you were sitting around waiting for an opportunity to happen. You jumped right. on it. You said you you researched, you wrote papers. You, I mean, it's like you worked really, really hard. I love that you brought yeah. that up. Yeah. So that's what I try to tell people too is, is it is attainable if, if, if you are willing to put in the time and the effort to try to figure it out, you know, and, and apply for those grants. And especially if you're in, in school right now, definitely take advantage of that. I met with a ton of advisors. I met with different departments all across the campus to see which programs were going to be best suited towards me and what opportunities those programs afforded me as well. So by doing that research and, you know, connecting with professors and people on campus, it also helped me to get these opportunities. So that's also really key. Were you, I'm assuming that, I mean, did you have to face rejection during this period of your life? Yeah, I mean, well, so I was um, still kind of figuring out what I wanted to do at this point. I did have a lot of rejection when I was first applying to zookeeping jobs, which was about a year after my time in um, China and Thailand. So after that, I... There was a local zoo. It is not an accredited zoo, but still a really great zoo um, in Ann Arbor, which is where the University of Michigan is. And they were uh, primarily, it's called the Creature Conservancy, and they do uh, primarily educational programs. That's it. So it's not really a big, like, walkthrough zoo um, that you typically think of, but they have, they would take animals to schools, to news appearances. Um, they actually partner with the Columbus Zoo. Oh, nice, um, they, nice. Yeah, so that's how um, I kind of got to know the Columbus Zoo a little bit. They partnered with them um, to actually go. They went once at, to uh, Dave Letterman oh, with the Columbus Zoo. Oh, nice. Yeah. yeah, yeah, so that was cool. And so I was actually working there. At, I was volunteering at first, um, and then they hired me. So, like, while I was in school, I was volunteering there as a keeper. And then... Um, over the summer, my uh, final summer of college, they hired me on as an educator for the summer camp. So I, I was getting paid keeper work, paid educational outreach work there. Um, and that was really cool because I was able to um, do some stuff with the Columbus Zoo. Uh, so they, they actually came. We did this big fundraiser in the fall every year, and they... Uh, I had never really been to the Columbus Zoo or done anything with them, and they brought up a lot of their ambassador animals to help us raise money for our local zoo. And the very last one, they these two guys like walked out with a cheetah, and uh... I was like, "What? That's a job? Are you? Are... It like blew my mind. It blew my mind because I thought the only way I could work with cheetahs was if I moved back to South Africa and like started this thing, and like I was planning on doing this whole like educational program out there and outreach and everything, and and then I saw these two keepers from Columbus and I was like, oh my gosh, this is a thing here. Like I had no idea. I was like, I want that job. That's, that's the one I want. Oh. <laughs> um, yeah. So it was pretty insane. Um, I, I got to do a, a few shows um, with, with Columbus Zoo and Jack Hanna came up and we did a few shows with them while I was still working at that zoo, um, which was, which was fun. Were you, were um, you but, super nervous? Were you starstruck when you saw Jack? Yeah, I was, I was, he was a really nice guy though. He was super down to earth and, you know, very friendly and, and funny. I remember I was on stage with, um, I had an indigo snake, which is okay. my favorite in the world. They are so cool. Um, and he wanted to uh, bring up some audience members and uh, put cockroaches on their shirt. Like, <laughs> yeah, and he yeah. was like, all right, get, get rid of the snake. We're going to put cockroaches on. We got Madagascar hitching cockroaches. And he was like taking all these cockroaches and putting them on these ladies' shirts. And then he's like, oh, go get, go get the frog. Go get the frog. And I had one of those big, like, African bullfrogs and stuff. And it was just, it was just really fun and like his like presentation style and these, you know, two people that came up and volunteered, you know, that's, that's definitely an experience they're going to remember for a long time. So I think it was, working with him was cool because I kind of got to see a different way that you can connect with people and engage with them by just, you know, getting them to like, you know, African hissing cockroaches, which most people would be like, ew, gross, you know? So that was, that was pretty cool. But going back to the, did I experience rejection? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So Sorry. this was um, by... So I was my senior year of college. I that, though, all the stuff I talked about. That's what I had done up until that point. So this was in 2015, and I was um, working there. And I was like, all right. So I had seen the you know cheetah keepers at Columbus. I knew that's what I wanted to do, but I was like, that's going to take me a real long time to get there because there's not a lot of 
zoos that have um, cheetahs. There's not a lot of zoos that have cheetahs as ambassadors. Um, and there's not a lot of cheetah trainers. Um, I think there's like maybe 17 in the whole country. So like really only options, 17. Oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. So the options for that, I was like, all right, I'm just going to, that's going to take me a long time to get the experience. I need to do that. And I was having, I was applying to keeping jobs all over the country. Um, when I graduated, you know, whatever I could get, I was like applying, applying. And I definitely never heard back from a lot of them. I definitely did not get interviews with most of them. The vast majority of them. Occasionally I got an email saying, sorry, we didn't consider you for this job. But most of the time I just never heard back. And I was definitely getting pretty disheartened about it. You know, it was, it was, it was hard not getting anything. And I think the big problem was too, is I had had all this, you know, great animal experience, but none of it was at an AZA facility. Oh, and, okay. you know, so that made it hard for a lot of places because they were looking for keepers that have had AZA experience. You know, it's that constant thing where it's like, you need experience to get experience kind of thing. You know, what am I going to do here? <laughs> so it, it, it was definitely a struggle for a while, but, um, I applied to an outreach position at the Fort Worth Zoo and got an interview for that. Um, and so I was excited about that. I did a few uh, rounds of phone interviews and they seemed to like me, I guess. So they were like, all right, she has a lot of experience. And uh, even though it's not AZA, like we think she's going to be a really great addition to our team. So they gave me a chance and I was like, all right, I'm going to move from Michigan to Texas. Wow. So I'd never been to Fort Worth before. Um, <laughs> had no idea, never been to the zoo. Um, I think that that was what was really key to, for a lot of keepers, and I think a lot of people don't realize this, is you're probably not going to get a job at your home city, at least at first. You know, it's it's really hard for people to move. I get it. It was hard for me um, to move across the country, to move to different facilities. In this field, you have to go where the jobs are and where you can get these opportunities because they're so few and far between. So if you have the ability and the willingness to move for a job, that's one of my biggest pieces of advice I can give people because it opens up so many more doors for you. Um, so moving to Fort Worth, I was able to, Fort Worth is an AZA zoo as well. It's a really great zoo. Uh, if you haven't been there, definitely check it out. So I was working there in their animal outreach department. So we had like 150 different animals, um, you know, things from, you know, alligators to Madagascar hissing cockroaches. <laughs> uh, I got to hand raise baby African penguins, oh. baby skunks, the ambassadors. Oh. Um, we had, I had never worked with actually a lot of birds. I hadn't done a lot of work with birds um, before this time. And I wasn't a huge fan of them. And then um, there was a lot of birds in my department, things from, you know, uh, macaws, cockatoos, uh, African pygmy falcons, a lot of raptors. We had a ton of owls and we had my favorite bird of all time, uh, the battler eagle. Oh Oh my gosh. It's like insane. Holding a bird that big on a glove is like an insane experience. And it's like definitely one of the things I miss about that job is working with birds and working with raptors, which is surprising. I never thought I would have said that, but it was a really cool experience. And we did, you know, um, flights during our um, shows and uh, it, w- it was awesome. And I also, we had a African Scribble there as well, which oh, helped nice, me, nice. Um, helped me get some more of that cat experience later on um, working with that Scribble. Um, but yeah, and so we did the educational shows. We did, we had an education department um, as well. And one of the coolest things uh, was we always, in Halloween, we did like themed shows. And we did this uh, Harry Potter theme show. Ooh. Like our whole staff was huge fans of Harry Potter. And so um, what was cool is our management let us be, because it, it was like, you know, a three-day weekend for Halloween. And they let us kind of take free reign and like do the sh- theme show however we wanted to do it. So we made all these amazing props and backdrops. And, you know, we wrote this whole script um, about, you know, all these different animals and their magic, uh, you know, super super magic things and uh, we had you know the owls fly in bringing the marauders map and you know we had um animals you know transform into different animals or you know we had a small alligator that we you know cast a spell and brought out a really big alligator oh, after, so cool you know things like that um i had this one um 
moment from the show that's always stuck with me as like a zookeeper was um, we had part of it. We, it was like interacting with, with the, with the kids in the audience. And we had, we would have a volunteer. We would go there and have them find their Patronus. So they would cast the spell to find their Patronus and we would open one of the doors and an animal would come out and we always kind of switched up which animal we were doing and, you know, stuff like that. And this was one of our last um, shows for Halloween and, this kid went and cast her spell and opened the door and Dottie, the African penguin, you know, oh. walked out like this. And like, she just starts crying. Like she just starts crying. And we're like, Oh my God, you know, like, Oh yeah, you love penguins and stuff like that. And, and so we go through the whole show and afterwards her family comes up and tells me about how her, um, her cousin um, loved African, loved penguins, had penguins like all over his room and stuff. And he had just passed away like the week before. Oh, and you just give me yeah. chills. That is like, I know. Isn't oh, that insane? and like wow. we, we changed last minute. We changed who that animal was going to be to the penguin. And just, and the chances that we like picked that one kid who had this one experience and like, she just burst in tears. And then we let her come up and meet the penguin afterwards and, you know, like interact with her. And it was just like one of those experiences where like, it just really takes you back and shows you how, amazing you know what you're doing is and how it's affecting people and I was just really grateful that I had that experience and I was able to share that with her and she was able to kind of really be inspired by coming to a zoo you know like who who would have thought you know and so it was just like one of those things that really really stuck with me after that experience but that was one of um that that whole uh Harry Potter show was really important um because uh, I actually did a Facebook Live back when Facebook Live first started. <laughs> <laughs> You're an OG. <laughs> yeah, OG Facebook Live. I did a Facebook Live of that. So I had a video recording of that show. Um, and it was a few months later that I had seen a posting for the Cincinnati Zoo's Cat Ambassador Program um, for a trainer. And they were looking as part of the application. They wanted a video of you doing a presentation. And so since I had done that Facebook Live, and I had like written that script and, you know, done all that stuff. I was like, well, great. I'll just give him that <laughs> as my like video for the application. <laughs> um, so I don't know. I, don't, I haven't really asked my coworkers if that's what helped me get the job, but I like to think, I know one of them is a really big Harry Potter fan. So I like to think that that, that, that show helped. <laughs> oh. but, um, yeah. So then I did the, um, they, they called me in for a few phone interviews for Cincinnati and they they went pretty well and then they actually uh for the last round of interviews they flew me out to cincinnati um to do an in-person like working full day working interview which was pretty intense <laughs> um, wow. yeah yeah so i um i came in and i met with you know our head of um the zoo fane maynard i had interviewed with him i interviewed with our coo i interviewed with our animal curator i interviewed with our head of our primate department and training and like i interviewed with obviously the team and toured the area and then at the end of the day they did a uh they wanted to see me do a live presentation so i had to do a chat on microphone in front of the lions in front of guests <laughs> At the very end of my whole interview process, oh and I was my like, "Gosh, oh, But um, yeah, I honestly was not anticipating getting the job because, like I said, I was like to work with cheetahs. Like that's going to take me a long time to get there, and I kind of just went in with it as like, "This is a great experience." You know, I get to come to Cincinnati, I get to interview with these people, I get to connect with these people and meet these people. I literally did not think I was going to get the job whatsoever. Like I was not, I didn't think that that was going to happen. Um, and it was, it was pretty crazy because I was actually back home in Michigan for my uh, younger sister's graduation party, which is crazy because I lived in Texas, but I just happened to be home with like yeah, yeah. all of my family and friends when uh, my now current boss called me and told me I got the job. Oh, which I'm getting was, chills again too. It, oh. it, it, I yeah. know, right? Oh man, it was just like, my sister actually never lets me uh, live that down. She's like, you stole all the attention. From my <laughs> like, I know I just got my dream job. It's fine. <laughs> I, that is so, I mean, okay. Now did your boss play it cool? Was it like, Hey, like, you, you know, like, you know, like when you watch American Idol when they're like, you guys are, you guys have to go home, but not today. Like, did she play right, it cool? Right. Or was she no, like, well, actually, 
happened is so because it was the graduation party i was using my phone um to play music uh-huh. for the party so i i wasn't actually on my phone and i went to go check it and i saw i had a voicemail from her oh. and i was like oh i can't listen <laughs> to this <laughs> so i had my sister listen to it for me and tell me what it said before i listened to it <laughs> oh man yeah, yeah. She was like, "You got it. You got it." <laughs> oh, celebration! Yeah. Pop the champagne. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that yeah. is. So that was, yeah, that was insanity. So then I moved again. You know, cross country back up to the Midwest. Uh, Cincinnati is about six hours away from Grand Rapids, where I'm from. So it's still far, but it's close enough now where I can still um, have family come visit a lot more than they were able to in Texas, um, which is great. And yeah, like I said, this is my dream job. So, yeah, so can you tell me a little bit about the Cat Ambassador Program at the Cincinnati Zoo? Yeah, so the Cat Ambassador Program started about 30 years ago um, with Catherine Hilker, who was working in our education department at the zoo and um, had a really big love of cheetahs and wanted to have a way to get people to engage with cheetahs and want to help save them. So she started this by hand-raising um, the first ambassador cheetah. Uh, her name was Angel. And she started taking her to schools and um, taking her to do educational programs around Cincinnati and Kentucky and Indiana and all over the place um, to really get people to, uh, you know, it's, it's kind of remarkable. Like if you are sharing a room with a cheetah, like you just, everything else kind of stops, you know, like you are really engaged and just marvel at this amazing species and you, you want to help save it. You know, you hear a cheetah purr my favorite sound in the world um and and so you know getting people to connect with an animal like that has a profound experience that helps them to want to help save it and conserve it and you know so that's kind of what the foundation of this program was built on was doing that so um she started that like i said like 30 years ago and since then it's evolved into um we also have a running program at the zoo so we have about a football field size running yard um, where we'll do educational encounters um, throughout the warmer months of the year and we'll run the cheetahs. So we kind of figured out how to run cheetahs here at Cincinnati um, and they run on a motorized lure machine and we actually hold the world record for the fastest animal ever recorded, um, which is, yeah, Sarah, our uh, cheetah at Cincinnati Zoo, holds that record to this day. So um, she did 100 meters in, oh, now, now I have to look it up. What no, is it, fine. 30 she got up to 62 miles per hour in 100 meters. Nice, 62 miles. I'm just writing this down. That is so interesting. Yeah, yeah. I think that's it. But I know it's the fastest. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so it's pretty cool. And we also have um, this off-site running facility as well. That's where she set the world record. And uh, National Geographic came to it back in 2012 when they set this world record and they got the first ever high definition like slow motion footage of cheetahs running and that footage is being used like to this day all the time because it's like this insane they had to set up this whole like track and camera and everything and they ran like all the cheetahs like a bunch of times just to get this footage um and it's remarkable like it's 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 so high definition and cool and they also had this um big spread in national geographic with our cheetahs like running out full um in there tommy t is the one that got the centerfold picture oh, <laughs> for that so that awesome. edition of national geographic um so yeah it's, it's an amazing program um like i said it's like kind of like the we self-proclaim ourselves as the cheetah capital of the united states um because you know this is where people come to learn about cheetahs and if they want to have cheetahs at their zoological facilities um and they want to have a running program an ambassador program um they can partner with us and learn how to do it because we have been so successful with it so um we have right now 10 cheetahs wow. as part of that i take care of three of the Three of them are retired from running and they live, we have a habitat that they live in at the zoo. We'll still take them on walks around the zoo just for enrichment and fun, but they don't run anymore. They're um, Bravo and Chance, the older pair, they are about to turn 16, which is like insanely old for cheetahs. They usually live to be like 11. So (laughs) they're just living the great retirement life. Um, But then we have um, six uh, cheetahs that run in our program right now and then we're in the process of raising our seventh cheetah to be in the running program who's almost shot right here nice, um, nice. yeah so that's 
Chris, our uh, youngest Chris. ambassador, Vita. Yeah, yeah, I know yeah, Chris. So. I mean, not personally, yeah. but via email. But oh, yeah, yeah. I've I've also uh, posted many, many, many pictures and videos and blogs and updates about her um, because I was um, Chris was my first um, cheetah that I helped to um, hand raise to be part of this program since I've been here. So um, part of that process, we um, get the cheetahs. They are they are orphaned cubs so their moms can't care for them so in chris's case her mom was um she had three cubs but two were stillborn and mm-hmm. cheetahs they won't um, raise a single cub mm-hmm. they will actually stop producing milk so that they can oh. go and breed again um which happens in africa but it still happens in zoos we're not exactly sure why um but when that happens it's in Africa, unfortunately, those cubs don't survive. But when it happens in the zoo, we can hand raise them as ambassadors. So um, that's what happened with Chris. So we brought her to be hand raised as part of our program. She was born at our um, off-site breeding facility where we have um, had over 60 cheetahs born at that breeding facility. Wow. Yeah, which is really awesome. Um, I don't work with that, those cheetahs. That's a separate team. Um, but that's where she was born. So part of hand raising her to be an ambassador is spending a lot of time with them um, and a lot of investment at a young age uh, to get them to be at the point where they're able to, you know, safely go into a school and do these running programs at the zoo. It requires a lot of work. So um, doing this with Chris was really amazing because it was the first time that I got to, uh, got to do it and got to be a trainer for a baby cheetah. I was actually her primary trainer, um, getting her to be ready for, uh, programs, which was really great. Uh, I was able to take her to a lot of, uh, news stations and train nice. her to get ready for things like that and her first school programs. And it was definitely one of the highlights of my career thus far was being able to raise her and also, uh, pick out her puppy companion. Yes. Um, <laughs> I'm so happy you brought that up. Explain this. Cause a lot of people, and I'm sure you hear this all the time when they see a cheetah with the puppy, they're like, Oh my gosh, is the cheetah going to eat the dog or, every, you know, every time. Yeah. And uh, honestly, I like explain it to them and they're still like, what? No, he's going to eat it. And I'm like, no, 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 no. <laughs> <Let> me... <laughs> so cheetahs, they, um, are not your, typical predator when you think of like big cats and big predators you think of like big ferocious strong mighty like a tiger or a lion cheetahs are really small they have to be really small um so they can run really fast Mm -hmm. um and they're only hunting things that are about 40 pounds or less as Mm -hmm. well and they're really really skittish they actually act a lot more like um a prey species in a lot of aspects and they do a predator the way that if they are scared or they feel threatened, they're going to run away. They're not going to engage like a lion would. Mm -hmm. Um, And so those kind of natural history things play into the part of why they're not going to eat their dogs. (laughs) Um, But the main reason is because we uh, pair them at a really young age and we work on developing the relationship between them. So they kind of see each other as siblings. So like they grow up together. Um, so when we were, we first picked Remus out, we got him from a shelter. Um, he had an amazing personality. Uh, we wanted a dog that had high energy that was able to play with the cheetah. Um, we didn't want a dog that was too aggressive, um, but we just wanted one who was pretty mellow and, you know, could engage and play and all that good stuff. So we got him. And then um, when, as trainers, um, raising a cheetah to be part of our program, we have to spend the night with them at the zoo. Um, to develop that relationship and uh, not only to develop the relationship with the trainers and the cheetah, but also the cheetah and her dog. So for the first few months, they were never left alone together. So they, we were always there to kind of help facilitate that relationship and make sure it was really strong and foundational to um, them as kind of a cohesive unit. Mm -hmm. So once we finally got to the point where they could be unsupervised, that's when we kind of stepped back as, having to spend 24 seven with the with chris the cheetah because now remus that was that was his job that's what he was doing he was being that companion for her as she was growing up and maturing so um Mm -hmm. the dogs yeah i mean all predators and most species of animals you know they need social development they need play that's really important to them growing up Um, i want to make sure that we can provide that for the animals at the zoo um especially cheetahs and there's 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 not a lot of extra cheetahs lying around (laughs) if there was a place Chris to go where she could have been like co-reared with another litter or another cheetah was available at another zoo we would have done that but there wasn't another cheetah around that doesn't happen very often 
So, but there's a lot of dogs that need homes, right? So dogs are a really great alternative that have worked really well. Yeah, you brought up a really good point because someone might think like, you know, why are you breeding so many cheetahs? But it's shocking. There are, there's only what, like 7,000 left in the wild? Is that the latest? The, the latest estimate I read was close to like 6,100. Are you serious? Oh my yeah. God. That was like last yeah. year when I was yeah 6,100 yeah. in the wild. In the yeah, in the past hundred years, oh. we've lost ninety percent of cheetahs. Ninety percent. Yep. Yep. Oh my yeah. god. Okay, so yeah. this is why it's so important. The education you're doing, the breeding. It's like it's it's like an arc. It's like an arc for animals. It's like sixty one hundred. My god. Yeah, it is insane. And and that's the thing too is another cool thing that we talk about with the dogs is one of the conservation programs that we support at the zoo, which is providing guard dogs um, to farmers in Africa, because a big problem with cheetahs in Africa is human conflict. Um, you know, uh, farmers will see cheetahs on their land and have their, you know, goats and sheep and their livelihoods, you know, killed by cheetahs and other predators, mm -hmm. not always cheetahs, but cheetahs hunt during the daytime. So that is the mm -hmm. predator that humans most, often see so a lot of times they're misinformed and they assume that the cheetah is the one that's been hunting their livestock so they'll kill the cheetahs um and they don't want them on their land they don't want anything to do with them um they'll kill a lot of predators uh which is hard because you know it, it that's their livelihood too you know they need to survive they need their livestock um but you know we want to save our wildlife as well so what we figured out is like i said earlier cheetahs are really skittish so if you provide these farmers with a guard dog like all it takes is a big bark from a guard dog and you're going to scare away the vast majority of predators. Um, so that's a way that an uh, innovative solution that we've been able to support that allows humans and predators in Africa to coexist. Um, I think that's a really big thing that a lot of people, maybe they realize it, but they don't really think about it when they come to zoos or they think about conservation or they, you know, watch National Geographic and see all these animals in their natural range. Like the problem is, is those ranges are so small and we are losing habitat at an alarming pace, right? There's, there's not a lot of wildlife left. There's not a lot of wild spaces left. And the problem that we're having is when humans and wildlife are living and coexisting and having issues with that. So we need to find solutions that allows wildlife and humans to live together on the same land and sharing the same space. It's not this pristine, you know, wildlife that we've seen on TV that it doesn't exist like it used to, you, you know? Yeah, I just, just did a video about this. It's, yeah, no, you're 100% right. And a lot of keepers, if you ask, you know, do you wish all the animals were free in this great, amazing utopia? It's like, yes, but it's like, it's, it doesn't exist without poaching and habitat loss and ha ha habitat fragmentation and, legal, you know, the illegal pet trade's big in cheetahs too, um, yep, as yep. you know. Yep. Yep. So that's, that's a big part of, you know, why our jobs are so important is educating people about this kind of stuff, you know, like supporting good conservation work that's doing things like, you know, the cheetah dog program in Africa to help save these animals. That's a really great innovative way. I know Cincinnati Zoo is doing a lot of stuff with a lot of African um, wildlife. Um, they're doing a really cool campaign that we partnered with Disney when they came out with the new Lion King movie, right? Uh, about saving the lion is saving all of the wildlife there because that's really a lot of um, what conservation is, is if we're able to maintain a top predator like a lion, you're helping to maintain that whole ecosystem underneath it. So um, I think that zoos are critical in getting that message out to people about, hey, here's what we need to do and here's how you can help, you know? And a big thing that I love is it's not just... It's not just, you know, the animals in Africa or, you know, in Australia or wherever. It's also here. You know, it's also local. Cincinnati is amazing at working with our local communities to help save wildlife in our backyards. So we have this really um, great um, pollination program about planting pollinator-friendly gardens in your backyards, you know, um, putting up bat boxes, um, doing things that can help your local communities in turn will help if everybody's doing that, right, it's going to help all the wildlife. Mm -hmm. So I think it's, it's really important, yes, that we save, you know, the cheetah, we save lions, we save all these big keystone species, but it's also really important to save the animals that you're affected by right in your local communities. Um, so that's something I'm proud of at Cincinnati. We do a great job of reaching out and, you know, we're um, also one of the greenest zoos in the country. We have 
um, we're working towards complete net neutrality um, by 2025. Um, so we're going to be having all of our energy source through the zoo, through renewable resources. We're going to have all of our water, recycled rainwater. We're, we are in the works to be having, um, all, growing all of our own hay and produce nice. and grain and everything for our animals um, all, all on site. So uh, it's really cool that I think that zoos are kind of really leaning into that and kind of setting the example for how businesses and communities can be green and be eco-friendly and help to save the planet. Um as well and you know Cincinnati is a great model for that um so it's, it's cool to be able to work at a place that that does that as well that is so awesome okay Andy, yeah. you ready for some lightning round questions Ooh, okay let's do it i'm gonna hit you with one okay well not physically right. hit you you know me um okay so <laughs> <laughs> so has there been uh one species that you have not really cared for like working with where you're like ah maybe this isn't for me hmm um, man, that's hard. Cause I'm trying to think. I, I, I mean, I guess elephants. Really? I'm bad. Why? I mean, I love. I just, I think that it requires a lot of physical labor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, you're hauling a lot of heavy, heavy dung there. Um, and I don't know. I guess I just didn't have the connection with the when I worked with elephants. Um, that I had had with cheetahs beforehand. Um, they're really, really smart, really intelligent animals um, that require a lot of training and investment. But I just um, gravitated a lot more towards cheetahs and kind of that educational ambassador work. I also don't think that I would be really well suited to working with primates either. Um, that also requires, I think it's those really, really intelligent animals that I just, that's a lot of work. That's a lot of effort and a lot of investment um, from the keeper side to, you know, give those animals what they need on a daily basis. And I give all elephant and primate keepers a lot of props, but whew, I don't think that would be for me. <laughs> uh, next to cheetahs, what is your next favorite animal? Well, actually, pandas are my favorite animal. Oh, I guess okay. cheetahs are my second. <laughs> oh, okay, okay. And would you agree with this statement? And I've just I've talked to a lot of people who are keepers who who have worked with pandas. Um, mm -hmm. That some of them can be a little boring. Are you going to kill me for that? No, that's uh, accurate. Really? Okay. So you agree with <laughs> yeah. that? Sorry. You gave me a glare yeah. or maybe it wasn't a glare, but I was like, Oh shoot. I hope I didn't. I hope I did not no, offend you. No, you like hit it on the nose. Like, really? you know how I was talking about how like elephants and primates are like way too smart for me to work with. Like, I feel like I'm almost yeah. working with people. They're so smart. Yeah. Um, pandas. Really? Mm -hmm. Just not interesting. Yeah. I mean, not just that, boring. I mean, yeah, I don't know. It was, they, you definitely could tell that they, I mean, they're receptive to training, you know, most every animal is and can be trained, but they just eat a lot. They spend the vast majority of their day just munching on bamboo and it gets a little boring after a while. And, um, and pooping, right? Don't they poop 40 to 60 times oh, a yeah. day? Okay. Oh yeah. Lots of that. Lots of that. Okay. Are, <laughs> are they, I'm are they aggressive at all? Like other bear species or are they pretty? They're not they're not as aggressive, but, um, they can be. So like, uh, mothers with their cubs, you okay. know, can be aggressive or, you know, single males can also be aggressive. There were, de when I worked with them, there were definitely certain ones that we were not allowed to like engage with in the way that we did with some of the younger or more, you know, like socialized pandas okay. because yeah, they're, they're aggressive too. Yeah. Okay. Uh, this might be <laughs> hard, but what is the funniest thing? Or you could say, the, I guess the dumbest thing you've ever heard a zoo visitor say, Oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> That's a hard one. Um, I mean, I've had a lot of people like look at the cheetah and be like, oh, wow, look at that lion. And I'm like, yeah. no, <laughs> no. <laughs> what do you say? You're like, actually, you know, close. Not close, really. Close. Yeah. <laughs> No, it's funny also like, you know, when you're walking by or like in my family visiting and, you know, I walk through jungle trails or our primate areas, you always hear, always hear guests who are like, oh, look at that monkey when they're looking <laughs> at a gorilla and you're just like, no, yeah. <laughs> let me tell you something here. <laughs> yeah. 
my favorite one ever at the zoo I volunteered with was uh, the, one of the ladies, one of our visitors was mad because the penguins had bands, um, you know, on their wings. And she was, mad. Oh, yeah, yeah. she was mad that we had to put bands on the penguins so they couldn't fly. Um, <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway, but I do want to say we love our visitors. That's what keeps us open. And we miss yes. you. <laughs> Yes, I know. I, I don't have this entertainment now. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> oh, it's so funny. Well, Andy, thank you so much for taking the time to do this. I, you gave a lot of great insight for people who want to pursue a career, you know, in the zoo field. Any last minute advice to anyone listening? Yeah, I would say just don't give up, you know, make sure you are putting in um, as much time as you can working, um, volunteering internships are really important. You know, internships often lead to seasonal jobs, which, you know, once you get a seasonal job, um, that allows you to connect with keepers and managers and put this job, this field, if you really can have a good impression and you work hard, um, people take that and know about it. And this community is small. So if you are putting in a really good effort at a zoo like Cincinnati or Fort Worth or wherever, and you apply to a job at another one, um, we all kind of know each other. So, you know, we can put in those good words about saying, oh, this person, you know, they always worked really hard. They had a positive attitude. They were a great team player. So I would say just be sure to keep up that good attitude and um, and connect with, you know, everyone that you can in the, in the zoo world. And it doesn't matter. It doesn't have to be paid experience either. You know, volunteering is great, and that gets your foot in the door. So just, just keep trying. <laughs> yeah, you hit a huge value bomb too. Be nice to everybody, and the zoo's yeah. a small world. Oh my gosh, don't go in. Very and... small. <laughs> don't, don't be difficult. Maybe don't, no. don't gossip. Maybe I don't know. Just be careful. Yeah, I mean, I think just like being positive is really, really important. I think it can be hard in this field because it, you know, there are so few jobs, and it's. It is emotionally exhausting too, you know, we love our jobs, but emotional fatigue is a real thing, you know, like it can be exhausting on you physically and mentally. And so it's, it's, it can be hard to stay positive at times, especially like right now um, (laughs) with the coronavirus and everything. But um, that positivity is really going to take you far. Yeah, absolutely. You're fine. We can have it wherever he goes. No worries. I know you're super busy. I'm happy your dog made a cameo a few times. Hey, Andy, (laughs) you're busy. Thank you for taking the time. I appreciate it. And I I love it. And I'm going to include all the stuff, uh, your links, your Instagram, and the show notes so all the listeners can follow you. And uh, and also, I'm assuming if someone has a question, I'm sure they could reach out to you directly through Instagram, DM you, and I'm sure you'd help them out. Perfect. Definitely. Definitely. Let me know. Look forward to hearing from you guys. Awesome. Talk to you later. Okay. Corbin, bye. Thanks for listening to the Animals to the Max podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with friends and family. Also, if you haven't already, hit the subscribe button. It really helps me out. As always, if you have any guest suggestions, if you want to email me personally, head on over to CorbinMaxi.com. And if you haven't already, check out our social channels. You can follow me at CorbinMaxi on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. We'll talk to you next time.